Great. Well, I am going to uh, invite you to grab your beverages and come on and take your seats. And we will continue with our time uh, together this morning. Hey, before we get into our uh, teaching time, I want to say a special thank you to all those who uh, were hosts and facilitators for our inaugural Her Table event last night. We had 40 women come out to seven different locations for two hours of food and great conversations. And I saw the pictures. They're all posted on uh, our Facebook pages. And uh, ladies, I know you will argue with me, but I think the men at Meat and Meat, I liked our menu better. And the reason I liked it is no vegetables were harmed in the making of that event whatsoever. Just straight up meat. That's all we did. And we had a great time. We had over 55 guys and kids out at Williams Park hanging out and just getting to know each other and having a lot of fun. And so if you missed that, uh, you can check out those pictures on our Facebook page and uh, we would love to invite you out. There's a couple other connection events coming up. Guys, there's info on a breakfast happening in a couple of weeks in your info sheet. And uh, we'll be talking about whether or not we do uh, more her tables in the future in the next uh, few weeks. But you missed it. It was a great, great time. So anyways, uh, as we jump into our teaching time this morning, we're launching into a new series. And I want to ask you, how many of you had little like wind-up toys of some kind in your house growing up? How many of you still have some of those annoying little wind-up toys kicking around? All right. Yeah, some of you have kids at home with those things. So uh, we're launching into a new series, and you can see on the screen our, our mascot for this series, our little image that will help us remember it and talk about it, is this little wind-up robot, which is kind of cute but annoying at the same time. And if you're anything like me, the reason we've chosen this is some areas of your life feel sometimes like a little wind-up toy in some way. You wind them up, right? And the thing with wind-up toys is they go along great for a little while, and then they start to kind of lose steam a little bit. And they just wind down. And I, I find that about areas of my life. Some things I w was really passionate about and excited about just kind of fade away over time. And that's very natural, very normal. Happens to probably all of us. But the challenge, I don't know if you find this, but the challenge I find is sometimes I let the good things, the really, really good things that ought to stay kind of wound up, wind down over time. And I get complacent, I get busy, I forget to wind things up again. So things like, you know, kids, commitments that you make at summer camp, to speak up about your faith, to, to uh, friends when you go back to school, they're gone by the time September rolls around. Or for adults, those, all those New Year's resolutions that you made, now that we're into April, you can't even remember what they were, can you? Your New Year's resolution to get your finances under control, yeah, that was probably gone by the time that your January credit card bill arrived in the mail. Or the idea that uh, maybe we, you came into Lent and you saw, oh, we're doing a Lent Bible reading challenge. That's awesome. I'll, I'll totally jump on board. That's only 40 days. How hard could it be? And by day nine, you were like, oh, yeah, I'm done with this. Or maybe... Uh, you decide, oh, I want to watch this show, like this series, and you get halfway through the series, and then you're like, was I watching that series? Was I not watching that series? And it just kind of fades away in your life. It's natural. We wind things up, and things just tend to wind down over time. 
But the real challenging thing is to keep those things that are really important to us, those things that we really want to keep wound up and keep moving ahead in some areas of our life. And so this spring, we're going to kick off a conversation on different areas and how we might actually give them, uh, wind them up in these areas of our lives, individually and corporately. Areas that without attention and without focus just tend to kind of drift. They tend to just lose a little bit of momentum in our lives and attention. So we're going to talk about very practical and daily things like how we use our time and we're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about friendships and these things. And we're going to call the series Unintentional because we, can, we want to grow in our level of intentionality. And without actually a focus on some of these things, they just kind of drift in our lives. And we become unintentional. And we want to ask God, maybe what areas of our lives have we become unintentional about we've begun to drift and make a series of small changes and adjustments just kind of wind it up a little bit in those areas to recapture some intentionality as we go through the spring so let's dive in this morning we're going to talk about an area that uh, i think is very natural for all of us to drift in just because it often isn't in front of us. And I've become uh, more acutely aware of this in my own life over the past couple of years. And the question that's been driving it for me is, how do I stay intentional around God's heart for those who are poor and on the margins in society? How do I keep that area of my life wound up in a right way? How do I gain and maintain God's heart for those who are under-resourced? Or impoverished. And as I was thinking about this, my own personal story here stretches back into my family of origin and experiences, and maybe yours does too. I grew up in a resource-based economy in northeastern BC, and uh, my perceptions of people who were poor were shaped by that because I grew up in the oil and gas patch and with a whole bunch of farmers, and the general perception about people who were under-resourced was that they just needed to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, they needed to get it together, get a haircut, get a real job, you know, they needed to kind of really, there were lots of jobs, why weren't they getting them? And they should just work a little bit harder at doing that. And so I grew up in a whole town that kind of had that attitude and that atmosphere towards people who were under-resourced and who were poor. Now, I'm sure that there were people who were poor in our town. I don't ever remember seeing or meeting any of them. Part of that could be that in northeastern BC, the winters go down to minus 40, and so if you're homeless, you usually move to Kelowna or Vancouver. Uh, so that may have been it, but I don't, they were mostly hidden from view. I don't remember talking to or seeing people on the streets in our little town. And so I would describe that phase of my personal journey with people who are under-resourced as out of sight, out of mind. I didn't see them, therefore I didn't think about them in any way, shape, or form. Then when I was a teen, we moved to suburban Toronto. And not just any part of Toronto, we moved to Oakville, which we came to later understand was the hoity-toityest suburb of Toronto. And we didn't live in a big house, but we were surrounded by people who did live in big houses and who had lots and lots of resources at their disposal. And so I was attending a, a private school, and we were serving. I was part of serving teams there, and a general pattern emerged. We would go out from Oakville to somewhere else, 
usually downtown Toronto. Sometimes it was cross-cultural. We went to Cuba, we went to Estonia, uh, we went to work on First Nations reserves up on Hudson's Bay in northern Ontario. But at the end of these stints, we would go out, we would always come home. And when we came home, sure, your life would be touched, you would be impacted by the people that you encountered that were under-resourced in some way, and you usually came home with a wonderful sense of gratitude for all of the things that you had that they didn't have. And after a while, that sense of gratitude kind of faded away. Sometimes it took a couple of days, sometimes it took a few weeks, sometimes it took months, but it usually faded. And whatever heart of compassion that I had kind of just wound down over time. And essentially, what I found myself doing in those points was thinking about another time that I should or could go out from my little safe little enclave and go and serve people again as a way of winding that part of my heart back up. And however well-intentioned, I realized that I was parachuting in to do my bit for the poor. And then I would parachute out, I would go home to a warm bed, three square meals a day, and a hot shower, and I would forget about those who were under-resourced. And I would feel less guilty about it because I had done something, but it didn't really serve to catalyze a real heart of compassion for those who were under-resourced. And so this phrase or this phase of my life and thinking about the under-resource might be described as a NIMBY phase. NIMBY stands for what? You know, not in my backyard. So I'll serve the poor so long as they're not that close to me, so long as there's a little bit of safe distance that uh, we can process with that. Well, fast forward to another part of my life. Uh, when we started uh, planting Jericho Ridge about nine years ago here, I would go for walks around the neighborhoods in Willoughby and see what was emerging. And I would see people moving into uh, abandoned homes on acreages, or I would see people pushing their shopping carts up to 100th Street or standing in the medians asking for money. And I would jog by in my $100 running shoes and my dry fit running outfit, and it began to bother me a little bit more that I didn't really feel a level of concern or compassion for people that were here. Sure, I felt it for people who lived in other countries, but not in my own city. And that began to bother me a little bit. It began to bug me that I couldn't actually name a single person by name who was under-resourced. That category, the category of someone who was poor existed in my mind, obviously, but I couldn't name anyone. It was just sort of a general, generic category. It wasn't a set of relationships. It wasn't a meaningful part of my life in any way. And over the past number of years, this has begun to really come to the place where I'm not willing to tolerate that in my life anymore, and it's pushed me to think more clearly about action. And my heart's begun to get wound up uh, even more as our family spent time in Tanzania over the course of the last two years, in East Africa, getting to know people who live in abject poverty, uh, as we went with our team to Guatemala a number of years ago and really got involved in the lives of people there and seeing the effects of malnutrition, getting to know the names of these kids and these families whom we're building houses for. 
and the lives are so different from ours. And so for me, I want, and I don't know really that I'm there yet in any significant way, but I really want to continue to push in to a, a phase in my life where there's personal connectivity with the under-resourced. And this, this really came home for me uh, two years ago when I was in Tanzania and I was teaching uh, a group of people, adults who were there, and I was teaching them uh, about the story of the lepers, uh, where Jesus healed the lepers and told them to go show themselves to the priests. And so I was teaching about this, and then one of the um, individuals in the room put their hand up and said, don't you mean the person with leprosy? And I said, no, no, I mean the lepers. And I kept going, uh, and they, they again interrupted me and said, Pastor Rad, don't you mean the, the person with leprosy? I said, no, no, it's right here in the text. It says the ten lepers. And they kept pushing me on this and saying, no, no, you, these are people with albinism. So why would you say a person with albinism, but you would say leper and not a person with leprosy? And I realized, ah, oh, my friends in Africa are trying to communicate and teach me something that I had missed. I had not been putting the person first. I had been putting their socioeconomic condition first. It's a poor person instead of a person who is poor. And so in my mind, I'm still growing in this, still learning in this, and it's got something that God's still working at in my heart. But as I go through the process of growing, it begins, it begins um, for, it began for me, and it probably will begin for you with a place of actual intentional education, actually informing yourself about what is going on in the world and learning more about uh, the situations that people live in instead of keeping your head in the sand because you cannot care about an issue that you do not know anything about. And then it moves from there. Once, you're, once you know about it, then you move yourself close to it. So there's intentional proximity that you put yourself in situations where you can interact with and encounter and engage people who are under-resourced as opposed to just avoiding them altogether or hoping that you avoid them altogether or just parachuting in from time to time, doing your bit, and then rushing home again. Because you cannot care about things you don't let into your heart or into your calendar or into the space that you find yourself in. And so intentional proximity becomes a next step in that. And then intentional relationship, to get to know people on the margins as people first and their socioeconomic status second. To get to know and hear their names and their stories and the things that are important to them as opposed to simply talking in vague statistical generalities about the poor. And so maybe before we actually go another step further in our conversation today, and we're going to hear from two people about their journeys in this here that are part of our community, maybe for you, the first action step is actually a learning step, that intentional education step. Maybe you need to just start with and say, you know what, I'm at heart stage one. I need to actually learn. I need to open my heart. Maybe for you that means that you need to open some good books and come to understand something about uh, the way in which the world is operating. These are just a few that I would recommend to you. Rich Stearns is the president of World Vision, and The Whole in Our Gospel talks about an integration between uh, compassion 
and proclamation ministries. When Helping Hurts talks about how sometimes when we do things unintentionally, we think that we're helping the poor, but we're actually just doing them to help ourselves. And then a place at the table is a real invitation to organize our lives for a season of time to grow in how it would look to share and understand what those who are under-resourced in our world, what their life is like. So there's lots of good books. There's lots of websites uh, that you could recommend to gain a wider and deeper understanding of poverty in our world. And you see, as, as I was doing these walks and these runs through Willoughby, and then being in Guatemala, and then being in places like East Africa, suddenly then I'm reading my Bible, and verses that I have read lots before are speaking to me in in new and fresh ways. And I came to actually discover that there's over 2,000 verses in the Bible on God's heart for those who are poor, and justice for them. And poverty. And I had missed those verses. Yeah, I'd read the verses, but it hadn't, I hadn't really paid attention to them. I hadn't let them settle anywhere in my life and in my day-to-day orientation. They didn't really make any demands on me. Even reading the book of Proverbs this last week with our kids, we came across verses like Proverbs 29, verse 7. The godly care about the rights of those who are poor. Or Proverbs 14, 21, blessed are those who help the poor. Or Jesus' command in Luke 6, verse 20, blessed are those who are poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so the Bible is filled with instructions to help our hearts move to that place of compassion and understanding for the poor. But the verse that intrigues me and has got me thinking about this more than most other verses is in Deuteronomy. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 to 11. And in this verse, uh, they're talking about how to think, both some things not to do and things to do when it comes to interaction and engagement with the poor. So in Deuteronomy 15, Verse 7, it says, But if there are any poor Israelites in your towns when you arrive in the land that the Lord God is giving to you, here's what you should do. Do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Instead, be generous and lend to them whatever they need. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone alone because the year for canceling debts is close at hand. They had a cycle, and your interest on the loan was based on how many years it was going to be outstanding. And you had an obligation then. And you, though, as the one lending the money, you know, if you wanted to bend the rules and say, I'm not going to give you a loan because I'm going to just have to cancel it in a couple of years, so there's no interest in it for me. Deuteronomy says, don't be mean-spirited. Refuse somebody who's impoverished to loan because the year for canceling debts is close at hand. If you refuse to make that loan and that person who is needy cries out to the Lord, you will be considered guilty of sin. God takes the rights of the poor very seriously. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything that you do. So there's actually a very specific promise attached to those whose hearts are aligned with God's when it comes to thinking about the poor. So many of the verses talk about how God will bless those and will protect those who protect the poor. Those who stand with them 
are close to the heart of God. There will always be some in the land who are poor. Jesus says the same thing. They'll always be, the poor will always be among you. But that is why I'm commanding you to share freely with the poor and with those other Israelites in need. See, these verses and so many others help us understand not only what not to do. So this verse is say clearly, God says you and I are not to be hard-hearted or tight-fisted. We're not to be mean-spirited and withhold help that is within our ability to give. We are not to help those who are poor begrudgingly or because we should do our bit for them. But it talks about what you and I should do and what we're invited into. And that is, more importantly, how we should do it. God invites you and I to be generous towards those who are under-resourced, to lend them whatever they need, to give generously and not begrudgingly because God cares about the heart behind the check, not the dollar amount that's in that box. God is interested in our hearts towards the poor, not just a volume of resources that we might allocate or not allocate towards them. We're to give generously and not begrudgingly. And the result is the Lord will bless you. It's a pretty amazing promise to lay hold of. And one of the things that I love about Jericho is that there are so many people here who are deeply involved in the plight of those who are poor and under-resourced around the world. I mean, you met our team who just got back from Guatemala last month. And many of you participated in that by giving money towards resources or wheelchairs or food distribution or building homes for those who need them. And we've done this now for seven years. And so many of you have come to share in that heart that we have for those who are under-resourced in the country of Guatemala. I love the fact that when applications are going to be distributed for the fall in 2015, our team for Guatemala, it'll probably, it'll fill up again. It fills up every year because there's a heart here in this place for those who are under-resourced. And there's, wants, people want to have a demonstrable effect on changing the lives and the plight of those by demonstrating a heart of compassion. But I also love the fact that we're not content just to sit around and make this kind of a once-a-year cross-cultural deal where our heart for those who are under-resourced gets expressed and that we're content with that at Jericho Ridge. I love the fact that this finds rhythms of life in so many different ways. So I'm going to ask Joel Schachter if he would come up at this time. And uh, Joel has been a part of our elders team in the past uh, here at Jericho, and he currently serves as a volunteer for the uh, Langley and District Help Network, which runs the uh, food bank both here in Langley and also in Aldergrove. And so, Joel, I want you to talk to us a little bit about what first drew you to helping and uh, serving with the Langley Food Bank? My wife. <laughs> All right. So it was a high and noble calling well, then, your wife. <laughs> yeah. My wife, we, we were talking about uh, helping out, uh, and we were helping out here in the church doing different functions, and she thought one day that she would really like to do something out in the community, and she said... Um, well, why don't we just find another, you know, ministry out in the community? We can help people in the community. And so the food bank came up in discussion, and that's where we ended up. Now, um, mm -hmm. so you didn't have this sort of 
high and lofty kind of vision. We'll just, I'm putting words in your mouth now. Sharon just dragged you out to the food bank. Basically, yeah. Okay, yeah, all right, got yeah. it, got it. Okay, so, <laughs> so um, talk to me about when you first started serving there, what were your perceptions about uh, people who were under-resourced when you first started volunteering? Well, yeah, we were raised in families where, you know, everybody was taught to do their job and work hard and all that. And so when you see people out there and you see them overweight and, and they're, you know, you know, smoking cigarettes and they're whatever, um, and, you th and they're looking for food or money from, you know, I always thought they're just lazy um, people. I, I, mean, I apologize for that now, but, you know, you look at them and, and you say, what's the matter with these people? There's lots of jobs out there. I see for, for work signs in all the windows and a, a lot of the restaurants and stores and, you know, they should be out getting a job, not standing on a corner panhandling. That was my initial sort of thought about people, poor people, if you want to call it. Yeah. So, so what's, what's changed for you over the course of your interaction with the guests at the food bank? Well, uh, you know, you start off by, uh, you know, just going in and uh, they, they put you through a basic bit of training and then you're meeting these people face on and after a while you start to get to know them a little and you get to ask them their name and they ask you your name and you try and find, you know, how, you know, what's going on in their lives a little bit. Just, you know, just standard communication, building a little bit of a relationship. And then when you see these people week after week and follow up on their stories, you, you, get a, you build a closer relationship and it's, uh, you become a friend and you have a better understanding of who they are. And, and yes, they all have different reasons that they're where they are. Some of it is due to genuine, you know, hardship in life uh, with, um, job loss or, uh, you know, a spouse uh, deserting them and, or, uh, or illness. And some of them you just, you know, they're permanently going to be there and they're almost, uh, you know, like generational, poor people. And as the Bible talks, we will always have the poor. And so, but still, every one of them has um, uh, something in their heart that they're, they're searching for. They have problems. They have people they love. Um, they have complaints. And, and you're... As a volunteer, you're there to be, you know, a friend. Mm -hmm. And I, I've gained a lot of friends there. And what have you learned about yourself on that journey then? Uh, I learned that um, I probably wasn't as nice a guy as I thought I was in the beginning. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that my heart sort of got changed a little bit by meeting with these people on a regular basis and realizing that, hey, they're just other human people that God loves. And what can I do to you know, help their day out? What can I do to brighten their day up? So I kind of made it my, my, uh, my skill set in the, in the food bank as I'm helping people is to get them to smile and, and just to, you know, people come in there, they've got all kinds of problems. Some of them are in tears. Some of them are there for the first time and they're really embarrassed. And we treat them with dignity and with respect. And my job is to help them smile while they're going through the process. So that, that's what I feel like. That's the extra part of my job. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and we get to pray with them every so often. When they, we don't push that on them because that's not our, our role. It's just to help them. But we do ask them, do you need prayer for anything sometimes if we see some real pain there? And, yeah. and often they will accept it. So, yeah. yeah. That's great. Well, thank you for sharing, Joel. Let's thank Joel for sharing. <clears throat> you know, the, here in our neighborhood, the Langley Food Bank last year in 2013 gave out over $2 million dollars of assistance and help to those in need. Just in our city, $2 million. Every month in 2013, 
the smallest number of individuals uh, that were resourced and families that were resourced with groceries and such was around 1,100 there, you can see, and went up to about 1,881 in a single month of assistance that's provided. And so this is an amazing story at the Langley Food Bank of God's people standing with those who are under-resourced. And it's unique. People come from food banks all around BC to ask the Langley Food Bank, what are you guys doing? Why are you able to help people in this way? And the Langley Food Bank resources a whole bunch of other food banks through material goods and other ways because God has continually provided for them. I think Joel's story of his engagement with people at the food bank brings us to our second action item today. And today, for you, one of the things that you might need to act on is it might be a call for repentance for you. Because some of you and some of us might have gotten the educational element about the plight of those who are under-resourced, so you don't maybe need to pursue that intentional education, but you may need to pursue intentional repentance. Because going on with all of that information, you may also have as a subtext of that, a perception or an attitude that runs completely counter to what God holds us accountable for, according to Deuteronomy 15. And so this morning, we need to actually look inside and ask what's in our hearts and what might we need to be rid of when it comes to thinking about and engaging with people who are poor. So you might need to actually empty out your heart of some of those types and ways of thinking. You may need to ask, are there things that prevent you from intentionally helping the poor? Things like apathy or thoughts of superiority or saying, well, I have no margin in my life at all. I don't have any time. I don't think I have any finances. I don't have any abilities that anyone who's under-resourced could use in any way or maybe it's a judgmental attitude. And I love Joel's story in this regard because his journey from an attitude of, oh, those people to an attitude of generosity, recognizing the vast diversity of unique reasons and histories and experiences that have led people to being under-resourced in our city and our world today. And here I love the words of Catholic social activist Dorothy Day. And she said this, the gospel takes away our right forever to discriminate between the deserving and the undeserving poor. It's not our call. The gospel calls us to a particular attitude of heart instead of standing back and thinking, well, I'm not sure if you deserve to receive my charity or not. You might need to repent of an attitude towards the poor. Because my response toward those who are poor cannot be to try and judge whether or not they're worthy of receiving my assistance. Will they make a good choice with the resources that I give to them? That isn't up to you and I. If I refuse to help and the needy person cries out to the Lord, that'll be counted as a sin against me, Deuteronomy 15.9. Don't let a heart filled with a judgmental attitude prevent you from showing and living with generosity toward people in need. Because one of the things that Joel's story teaches us is that people who are under-resourced actually have a lot to teach us. And so 
we need to ask ourselves if we have room actually in our lives and in our hearts to receive the things that they have to teach us. So my question for you is what part, what might your brothers and sisters who are living in poverty have to teach me but I am unwilling or unable to hear? What part of my life, what lesson, what might they be offering to share but I'm unwilling or unable to hear it because of things that are going on in my own life. What do they have to teach us? Sometimes you and I have to get on the ground actually to learn these things in intentional proximity in order to open up our eyes and open up our ears. So I'm going to ask Ben if he would come up. Ben Beckert's going to come up and he's going to talk to us a little bit about, and his dad Daryl's going to come with him, and Ben's going to talk to us a little bit about a journey that uh, Ben and his family have been on in recently in Mazatlan, in Mexico, and serving with a compassion ministry in a local church there. So we put a map up so people can know where Mazatlan is, Ben, so you know. And um, we've got some pictures. And talk to us about these pictures that we're going to put up. And tell us a little bit about your trip. So where's that? I have my notes too, so don't feel that you're cheating if you use your notes. If I don't have my notes, I'm lost. This is the church we went in Maslin. What they do? This is the homeless shelter that we visited. There were a lot of men and women that lived there. This was, is one of the women that lived there. We made lunch for 35 people. It was my job to cut the bananas and fill the cups with juice. They let you use a knife? Yes. Wow, <laughs> cool. It's a little supervision. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> It was a long bus ride out to the dump, and we fed lots of children along the way. We got to see where they lived and how now they play. This is the dump where people look for things to sell. When we got there, we, the workers lined up and we gave them a sandwich and orange and water. They were very happy. Ben, that's awesome. Thank you for talking a little bit about your trip with us and the things that you did. That's awesome. Kids, let's thank Ben for doing such a good job about that. Right on. Wow. And you can talk to uh, Ben and Emily and Jody and Daryl. They're continuing in that adventure. That's not going to be something that just 
sort of sits as an experience for them that they had as a family. They're actually working to uh, move down to Mazatlan for part of the year and get to know these people by name and not just sort of parachute in for a week and then parachute out. And so we're excited to hear more from you guys as you go through and process that journey and head toward that this fall. And the thing that I love about that story is that it provides a strong invitation to you and me to let God actually fill our hearts with the things that are on his heart. Because when we think about those who are under-resourced and we think about the world, we can get very easily overwhelmed and just say, well, I don't even know where to start. The starting place is kind of the same for everybody on this journey. And that is just asking God and praying and saying, God, how do you want to grow my heart for those who are on the margins? How do you want to grow my heart for those who are under-resourced? It might be by cutting bananas and filling cups of juice. It might be by going down to the gateway of hope and serving or mentoring with the skill set that you have there. And I'm not going to stand here and tell you that God wants you to move to Mexico for a season like the Beckers or that God wants you to start a charity focused on rescuing kids in East Africa or God wants you to join the team to Guatemala next spring. I don't know the specifics of what God wants you to do and how specifically he is going to ask you to open your heart to those who are under-resourced. But I do know that he wants all of us to love mercy, to seek justice, and to walk humbly with him, which means that we need to be open to doing those things. And so during our response time today, you may want to just take some time and just ask God, God, I want you to give me your heart of compassion for those who are under-resourced. I want to live that out in some fresh way. Maybe it's kids by, we've got kids who collect juice boxes and then take them in and buy wheelchairs in Guatemala. There's lots of ways that you can express and stand with those who are under-resourced. But not only beginning to pray, but actually then being willing to respond in some way when God brings someone across your path. We've got families here at Jericho Ridge who always carry boxes of granola bars with them in their vehicles. And so as they pull up to a stoplight and someone comes and asks them for food, they've got food that they can hand to that person. Or they've got a gift card. Or they've got uh, money that they can hand out. So that when someone says, can you help me? They're always ready to say, yes, I can. And they're prepared because they believe that God's going to bring someone who's under-resourced across their path in some way or direct them to the Gateway of Hope or to the Langley Help Network. Maybe today you need to actually get yourself ready to say yes when asked for help. Maybe you need to reorganize your finances or think about ways in which God will open up doors of opportunity for you. Maybe today you want to actually take a step and maybe as a family get involved in a global project of some kind. Lots of people from Jericho Ridge do that by uh, things like sponsoring children or planning to send, spend some time cross-culturally as a family. Maybe you've talked about that. Maybe today is the day that you say, you know what, I'm done talking with it. We actually need to plan it. We need to actually get going on that project. I need to make, we need to make room in our family budget for those who are under-resourced. Maybe we need to give to a project. Uh, Lindsay Schachter. Lindsay's one of our uh, supported workers. She's at the back there with Theo Wave. Yeah. 
So Lindsay works with a global aid network here in Langley. And Lindsay would be more than happy to put you in touch with a project that you could partner with as a family and get in touch with in some meaningful way. You can look at our annual gift guide. That's why we do it as a church, so that you can be reminded of those who are under resource and projects that you could invest in. And when you get involved, it changes your perspective when you're personally invested. And so maybe for you today, the action is you need to actually find some place to hang out where those who are under-resourced hang out. You need to get to know the people there and let them get to know you because if there's a person who's under-resourced that knows your name and you know their name, that's closer to friendship than it is to objectification of the poor. And so if you want, there's volunteer packets available. They can give you some info at the Welcome Center or you can talk to Joel. You can talk to the Beckerts about coming down to visit them while they're there in the spring of 2015 and going out and experiencing some of the things that Ben talked to us about experiencing for visit in Mazatlan. Get to know at least one person by name who's under-resourced. Hang around long enough for them to get to know your name. And if you want us to help you with that, or if you want us to help keep you accountable for a decision or a commitment that you're making today, tweet us at Jericho Ridge and use the hashtag intentional, and then we'll be able to stand with you in that and help get you moving in that direction. And so we're going to respond uh, today in song, and we're going to worship and ask God that in this time he would open our hearts as individuals and our hearts corporately to the plight of those who are poor and stand with them. And the prayer teams are going to be available, and so Gary and Betty Stevenson will be available, and Katie and Ruth Ellen will be available, and Spencer and myself will be available, and we would love to pray with you. And ask God if you say, I just wanna, I want to grow in my heart for those who are under-resourced. I don't know how I would do that. We would love to just pray with you in that. If you've got another concern or prayer or burden that you came with and you want someone to share it, we would love to do that as well. If you've got something you want to celebrate, we would love to pray with you in that. And so I'm going to invite the team to come. I'm going to invite you to stand. And we're going to invite God and offer God our hearts. The first song that we're going to sing talks about opening our hearts to God and in offering our lives to him so that he can fill them. Because we want to act not out of guilt, but out of a motivation that's true and as God's heart for us. And then the second song uh, calls us to action. So would you stand with me as we pray together and as we respond in song? Compassionate and loving God, we praise you for the many gifts that you give to us. May we be mindful of those who go without each and every day. Help us to provide the resources that are needed for our brothers and sisters burdened by the suffering caused by poverty and oppression. And let our work this day be a reminder of our connectedness with all of your beloved children. Open our eyes, God, to see the needs of this community. Those who are poor in spirit as well as poor in resources. Cleanse our ears to hear the cries of the poor. Anoint our hands and our feet to be instruments in fulfilling your justice. And we ask this through the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen.